This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a big show, a real big shoe. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today you'll learn how to live a life with lots of upside and very little downside with our very own OG. And today he's joined by the woman who's already the best version of herself, Paula Pant. And I cannot believe we've got this guy, a literal genius who retired at 19. Oh, wait, it's the guy who helps you philosophize what your life would have been like had you retired at 19. I read that wrong. My bad. It's the guy behind the Earn and Invest podcast, Doc G. And in a special segment today during the second half of the show, who cares about your financial health if you're not healthy? We'll answer your diet and exercise questions and help you learn how to become the best version of yourself this year with MetPro founder Angelo Poli. And now, a guy who's trying to compete with the best version of me, good luck with that, it's Joe Salcihai. bar is high. The bar is very, very high. Unattainable. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Happy weekend, everyone. Welcome back to the Stacky Benjamin Show. And what a special episode we have today, because this is a phenomenal piece we're going to dive into in the first half. And Doug, as you so eloquently said, the second half of today's show, very special guest, Angelo Poli. But before we get there, let's say hello to everybody who's around our virtual card table, starting with the guy directly across the table from me. Bringing it back for a third session this week. Mr. OG's here. How are you, man? Every day's the same. It's like this day never ends. It just goes on and on. 
<laughs> Welcome to uh, Groundhog Day podcasting edition, yeah. right? At least you didn't change your shirt like Doug. Doug's such a dork and changes his shirt. Doug did. We we might just for people to let them in behind the curtain. We may have recorded a different episode earlier uh, yes. in this particular day that we're Maybe. recording. Is that a pocket square, Doug? What is that? Is it a pocket hanky? This is pocket protector. Yeah. Pocket protector. Yeah, that's where all my protractors go. My rulers. It's a zipper. It's a zipper. <laughs> <laughs> I got a zipper on my shirt. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Look at how unimpressed great. Paula is. She can care less. Yes, the woman who has herself zipped into a gigantic apartment in Manhattan. <laughs> Paula Pant is here. I mean, I the the pocket protector zipper is just that. It's just. It's not that I'm unimpressed. It's mostly that I'm confused. It's mostly that I've just lost you know, respect for you, Doug. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm unacquainted with the concept of having pockets at all. So it's, uh, it's like a fly fishing shirt. So if you're out in the river, oh. there's some stuff you might want to put in there that's not going to get dumped in the river. Like beers. Like oh, beers. Interesting. No beers going your waders. I think you were questioning Paula, uh, Doug's character. Like, is this the same guy got drunk with live on stage uh, at the economy conference? We were lit, girl. Because <laughs> does not seem to be that guy would not have a pocket protector. Yeah. No. And we have our sister show and our brother show. Our our brother show, Erdin Invest, is here. Doc G, aka Jordan Grommet's here. How are you, man? I am good. I, I love seeing what. Doug, you know, wears each time we record because it's like an episode of what not to wear. I mean, I just, Dude. I get all nice. sorts of ideas of, you know, if you had a cowboy hat with the zipper no, there, you'd be good. Actually, I think it's more like that show that just won an Emmy, that uh, RuPaul show about the runway. Slow your roll. <laughs> no, I, th I, th I thought that it was. <laughs> Doug, if you were going to teach us something about the method behind your dressing madness, what would you teach us first? I would teach you exactly this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. But there's no pocket protector in that. No, well, you've got to put your own twist on things. You've got to be creative. Here, check this out. This You might figure it out from this. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Even in your underwear. That's so weird. I told you, you can bedazzle anything, Joe, if you put your mind to it. 
All right. Well, we've got OG here. We got Paula. We got Doc G. And uh, we got the guy uh, bedazzling everywhere. <laughs> Mr. Lumpy Underpants himself. <laughs> here, here we go. The new definition of rhinestone cowboy. <laughs> today's discussion we're going to take a cue from a piece by a guy named graham weaver it's a piece called how to live an asymmetric life you know this week we talked about on monday uh gigi gonzalez came on and talked about uh, cultures and how we're all interconnected and then brian class came out on wednesday talked about we are way more interconnected than we thought that we are and how bad things can happen at any time. And it really is how we react to those things. Paula, let's start with you. Mm-hmm. If we're looking for an asymmetric life, he starts off with this idea of asymmetric returns, which I think some of our stackers don't even know what that is. What does it mean to go for asymmetric returns? It means uh, you can get a lot of upside without having to embrace a ton of risk. Oftentimes we think of risk and reward as in lockstep, but there are certain things that you can do, choices that you can make in which your rewards are substantially greater than the risk that you take on. A lot of times, uh, OG, people say, they're like, well, I'm not an investor. And we say, well, do you have a 401k? And they go, yes. We go, well, then guess what? You are an investor. What are some ways that people out there listening to this might be practicing asymmetric risk without really thinking about it? I think you just kind of gave it away simply by investing in a diversified investment account the S&P 500 fund, you're, you're getting much greater return than your opportunity for loss. And really the asymmetric part is what multiple of return do you get for every multiple or every unit of downside? And there's obviously in really short periods of time, and I know he talks about this in a little bit, but in short periods of time, it is closer to a one-to-one number. Uh, you know, if you invest in the stock market for a day, it may go up or it may go down. Right. But if you invest in the market for 10 years, it's probably going to go up. If you go invest for 25 years, it's definitely going up. And that's not a lot of risk at that point. Mr. Salciha, I have a question. Yes. What's the difference between asymmetric return and high risk, high reward? Or is this just a happenstance thing? Like, can you plan, oh, I'm going to go do this thing because I want asymmetric return. Is that just a cool way of saying, I'm going to bet on Rivian? No. No. Based on what Paula mm-hmm. and OG were talking about, this means high reward, low risk. So, But that, but you can't plan for that. Well, a multiple. It doesn't mean low risk. Oh, you absolutely can. You absolutely can plan for this. I'm glad you're here, Doug, because <laughs> we're about to talk about planning, planning for that. The S&P 500 helps you plan for that. If I do one bet, let's say on Rivian, which is which is a stock, can you tell us about Rivian? Awesome Doug? stock. <laughs> if you bet on Rivian, that's one thing. But if you take that amount of money and chop it up over fifty companies, the chance that one of those fifty may hit versus betting on one means you're looking for an asymmetric risk. You're going to take the same downside that you had. Well, you're going to split it among fifty different companies, and then you're hoping for for upside from at least one of them. Doug, you're nodding, you're, you're shaking your I'm head. I'm shaking my head because in that's, that's just diversification. So I had one that skyrocketed. Diversi- diversification well, is a way to get asymmetric. Except that the other 49 mitigated the giant upside on that one that went crazy because I had three or four that, you know, yeah. took a I have so, to agree with this. There's there's some level, I, I feel like he's talking about exponential, right? So at, at some point, 
what you're really looking for is something that is a limited downside, but not a zero's downside, but a sure. possible exponential growth. But it's interesting because what he points out is downside is always limited. Mostly you can lose everything, but there's a limit to that. Whereas growth could be exponential because you could a thousand times your investment. And so I feel like what he's talking about there is being a little bit more risky and not necessarily playing it safe. So, well, so let's ask this, the question then, Doc. Do you think that like buying insurance is a way to try to make your life have asymmetrical risk? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm trying to separate this out in my mind because on some level, isn't that exactly what speculation is, which is we don't like speculation. We like investment, right? So the idea is you're not looking at something asymmetric at all. You are choosing, hopefully, a basket of companies which, assuming the American economy works out, et cetera, over time, are expected to produce and grow. And the time factor, as long as the growth, is what's going to be your investment. Whereas a lot of times when we're talking about asymmetric risk, I feel like we're talking about speculation, something like cryptocurrency, right? So there's like possibly an exponential gain, and you can limit your downside by only putting so much into it. Right. Or if it's a new flashy company and you're like, well, this is a brand new flashy company. Same idea with penny stocks. Right. Put something in for very little and it may not pay off. But if it does pay off, it's going to pay off exponentially. That's how I kind of read some of this article. So to me, I I have trouble equating it to what your example of, which is just insurance, because insurance doesn't feel like kind of speculation, but that might just because I hadn't thought about it that way. No, but I'm saying my life has all this upside. I'm not changing the upside potential on my life, but I am limiting the downside impact if things go wrong. So I'm not I'm not doing it the way you're talking about fee. by making the blues. Yeah, for a small fee. And I do that in areas where I think it's asymmetric, right, OG? Where the, well, where the fee I, matches I, the- I mean, you think about like life insurance over a long period of time, uh, over your life expectancy, if you were to have a policy that was the entire length- so if you just kind of modeled out how much term insurance would be until you were whatever your life expectancy is, according to the actuaries, the compounded internal rate of return generally comes in at about six and a half percent versus the premium, pretty much. It's basically like if I would have just invested that money and I lived to my life expectancy and I got six and a half percent, I'd have about the same amount. But where the asymmetric part comes from is when you're 40 and you've only paid premiums for eight years and you have a car accident and your family gets $5 million. You've paid a year's worth of premiums and a $5 million payout. That's Everybody won but you. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, you didn't really win that game, but you took care of your family. You could say the same thing for disability insurance. Over a long period of time, one year of disability uh, benefits is equal to 20 years of disability premiums. So you have to weigh out, you know, does it make sense to have this for, you know, uh, uh, my cash flow? And if you're a business owner for my business, you know, employees and all that other sort of stuff. But the payout, especially early on, is gigantic ROI relative to to your inputs. But the further you get down the road, which is different than investing, the further you get down the road with investing, the opposite happens. You get a better return, better ROI by having a longer time horizon. But either way, I think in both cases, the the asymmetricalness, asymmetricalismness, <laughs> yes, is there. 
And scene. Okay, yeah. good. Well, Thanks, guys. <laughs> That's a wrap. I have nothing well, to Paula add. Paula breathed in. I thought she was going to say something. Yeah. I, oh. was, I was uh, about to crack a joke about like the the risk of ruining your pockets and how having a pocket protector would protect against that. <laughs> Asymmetric. The, yes, exactly. Wow. <laughs> Just a little plastic goes a long way. <laughs> I, I feel like Graham Weaver saying something slightly different. And I mean... Well, I'm glad you pivoted before I could, Doc. I mean, he, what does he say here? He says... Yes, it's possible to reduce one's downside, but it's not possible to eliminate it. The better strategy is to seek opportunities where the possibility of gains wildly outweighs what you can lose, which is typically capped at one times your investment. So he's even going as far as saying you could lose everything, but he's saying, I want to take these risks. I want to take these bets, even at the risk of losing everything, because it's so wildly outweighed by the exponential gains, or at least that was my take on it. Here's a great question or a great way to think about this. When we were sitting at the bottom of the market relative to COVID, right? So the market has gone down 34% in 17 trading days. It's March of 2020. Most investors, most people feel like that was the riskiest time for any new investment. You know what I mean? Like, so, so your bonus hit March 15th. It's sitting in your checkbook and you go, well, I, I don't think that I should invest this money today. My gosh, the market's down 30%. It's so risky. But in reality, that was the best point in time, and probably for our entire lifetimes, the best point in time to deploy all the capital you could muster. That's a great example of when it looks like it's not advantageous is quite often when it is the exact time to do those things. Doc, you're putting the finishing touches on a book that's about purpose, and this really, this piece doesn't even talk about what we're talking about so far. I wanted to kind of help us through asymmetric, which you can tell is a difficult concept for people to get. But he goes broader toward purpose here, and he's got this list of of principles. And I want to begin with you talking about principle number one. He says, our whole lives, we've been led to believe that the goal of life is ease and comfort. And he goes into dispelling that. Do you, do you agree that it's not about ease and comfort? A hundred percent. And not when it necessarily comes to money, but when it comes to stepping out of your comfort zone, by nature, when you step out of your comfort zone, you are going into an uncomfortable place. But if you want to create a different, better, more fuller life, you can't do it by doing the things you keep doing or you're going to get the life you keep having, right? So if you want to step it up, you might look at your life and say, hey, it's perfect now. And then maybe you don't need to do hard things. But most of us are looking at a future in which we do better, more interesting, more exciting, more fruitful things. And if you want that, you have to step out of comfort into discomfort. And that automatically means you got to do hard things. He says spending less energy to get what we want is a fantastic lie. When we say we've made it, because I don't have to expend any energy, that that's actually a lie. He says, when I rode in college, we measured our fitness level with a 2000 meter test on a rowing machine. For the first day of the season, my peak fitness, six months later, I get about 20 seconds faster. 10 seconds came from the work they put in rowing, weightlifting, and running. But surprisingly, the other 10 came in from the first two weeks of the season. It didn't come from improvements in cardiovascular fitness, strength, VO2 max, or technique. It came from psychology. Specifically, I get comfortable being uncomfortable. Paula, when I think about that, since you haven't mentioned going to Columbia in the last uh, 10 minutes of this podcast, (laughs) I thought that I bring it back. But I think that uh, immediately when you go Mm. into a room full of accomplished people like you were in, there's a little bit of discomfort there. But I got to believe that once you got comfortable being uncomfortable, that pace became a manageable thing. Well, you know, and and going into a room uh, with a lot of accomplished people and feeling a little uncomfortable ties perfectly to the very last thing 
that he wrote as well. What? Oh, sorry. You said going into a room full of accomplished people. I said, like this one. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) It ties perfectly with the last thing that he wrote as well, which is that fear often disguises itself as imposter syndrome. Fear disguises itself as not me, not me and not now. And so those, the two, those two points actually really uh, dovetail nicely because if you are comfortable being uncomfortable, then when the little voice pops up that says, I can't do it, not me, you know, I don't belong here. This isn't, or this isn't a good time and I don't have the skills. You ignore it. You deserve to be there because you're there and you power through it. Yeah, I think if you just begin on the path, OG, you said this before, the hardest part about going out on a run or a bike ride is is putting on your shoes, right? He's <laughs> talking about the psychology of getting out there being half the win. Last weekend, it's funny you say that because it was very cold. I was sitting in, in our upstairs where the exercise equipment is, and I sat there and watched an entire basketball game with my shoes on and shorts and t-shirt. <laughs> like, and, and finally, somebody came in and go, are you working out or what? And I said, yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm just, I'm really, really just kind of putting one foot in front of the other right now, just to stare at it for a while and see. His second point, Doc, back to you is to do your thing. He says, when I graduated from Stanford business school, I had two alternatives in my (laughs) career. One option was the job I had before business school, working in a large private equity firm. The the path was clear. Scoreboard. And a salary and bonus and several other classmates would be joining me at the firm. The other option was to try to start my own company. I bought several companies as a fundless sponsor in business school, but this path was far from clear in my mind. I didn't know how to start, didn't know how to raise money, or even if I could afford to pay myself with all those unknowns, I chose to take the big private equity job. Doc, he's saying this is wrong. Have you found this in your research as well, doing the thing you're supposedly supposed to do might be the wrong path? Yeah, I chalk this one up also to going with your gut. I think deep down inside, most of us know what we really want, and we create all sorts of reasons not to do it, including, as Paul was talking about, things like imposter syndrome. And maybe to get back to this asymmetricality, I think we we overestimate the downside and underestimate the upside, right? And so I think we get so afraid of the possible downside, and that's also loss aversion, that we that we forget how exponential the upside can be. Mm. He talks about Paula that uh, this job was really hard. He took early flights, traveled across the globe, stayed up late meeting bid deadlines, purchased companies, worked 80 plus hours a week. And he says that the easy job, the safe job that he thought was safe ended up costing him way more than if he'd just gone for it. Right. Particularly in career, in business, we really overvalue a false sense of safety. And and that starts young. As teenagers, we're taught, like, pick the safe path. Don't try to be something where you have a low likelihood of success. Like, don't try to be an actor. Don't try to be a singer. You know, do the thing where you have a high likelihood of not failure. I won't say success, but I'll say a high likelihood of not failure. And that messaging starts when we're very, very young. And I think a lot of us uh, internalize that. And maintain that throughout our adult lives. But what that means is that often we end up playing it safe, quote unquote, but then frittering away, not just 80 hours a week, but years, you know, years and years, decades of our time doing something that we never really even wanted to do that much in the first place. You know, there's a guy who's big in the real estate space for a long time. His name's Robert Allen. uh, And OG, he has this quote. He says that there's two doors in life. 
One door says security and the other one says opportunity. And whoever opens the security door gets neither. Do you agree with that? Well, I've never had a W-2 job in my whole life, all the way back till when I was 11. It's interesting because Scoreboard. I think that- Yeah, that and it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> if you were working at 11. It's a paper boy, bro. Of course you didn't get Settle a W-2. Down. That guy didn't want you on his books. <laughs> it's, called, it's called under the table. That's called sweatshop. He just said it would be easier to pay me cash. No, I think it all depends on the circles that you're in. You know, in our in our group, Joe, you and I talk about strategic coach a lot, and it's full of entrepreneurs. And I'm not sure that anybody in that room, or at least the vast majority of people in that room, could even anticipate the idea or spend any time thinking about the security door, so to speak. Like that is so far removed from the mental imaging of some entrepreneurs that it's almost the opposite effect. It's almost it's almost a bigger detriment because because there is no risk that some people won't take because it's like, well, you know, the proverbial, there's always money in the banana stand, right? It's like, I don't care. It'll be fine. Something will work out. And there's, you know, there's a downside to that as well. But I think Paul is right. The vast majority of people would choose the the safe route if given the opportunity because of being scared, I guess. I don't know. I almost feel like we should separate investments from your yes. life. Like I think we should separate fiscal capital yes. versus human yes. capital. Because I would almost say we we tend to over-risk fiscal capital when we shouldn't because there's so many great money-returning investments. But then we under-risk human capital by being too afraid to step out and the, do the difficult, uncomfortable thing. When the truth of the matter is, unlike, I think, fiscal capital, with human capital, there really is asymmetrical risk. Like the amount you're really going to risk by stepping out and doing something uncomfortable is pretty small. It's your ego. But the gain, the growth can really be asymmetrical or exponential. And to me, I think they're two different things. End the podcast right now, Joe. Jordan just crushed it. I mean, that's (laughs) absolutely why I was calling BS on the asymmetrical investment aspect of this. But I'm so down with asymmetrical risk and reward from a human capital standpoint. Crushed it. But in both of those circumstances, you don't see the results of your efforts until well after the fact. No. We're going to actually get to that <sighs> in just a And that's part. Yeah. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, Doug. I'm just saying that both of it takes faith and I, patience and discipline in both scenarios because, because you don't see the power of a decision that you make to go the entrepreneurial route for 25 years, no different than you don't see the decision for investing. For I hear you. Years. I just don't like how wrong you are, OG. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Hey, Doug, have I mentioned how much I like that shirt on you? <laughs> you're right. <laughs> That's the best pocket protector he's ever seen. But Doc, staying with us, I think, is it just that we're afraid or is it also that we undervalue a different measure, which is time? I feel like we're like, I can take that risk tomorrow, where with returns, to some degree, we kind of get it. You know, somebody shows us so-and-so starts starts investing at 20, and this loser didn't start till 40. Guess who's going to come out ahead? We see that and we get it. But I think with time, we don't. Yeah, I mean, I think that comes back to his third point about doing the hard things for a long period of time. I mean, what's the old saying? We overestimate what we can accomplish in a year, but underestimate what we can accomplish in 10 years. I think the problem is it takes persistence. And I think when you're going to go out and do the hard things, it takes a little, a lot of stops and starts and persistence and years. 
to get the outsized or exponential outcomes you're really looking for. The equation for returns, he writes, is return equals one plus R to the nth power where N is quadratic, meaning if N is time, and Paula, that means just do it over and over and over and over. Agree with that? Yeah. I, you know, when I saw the, uh, the equation, I read it several times. I couldn't exactly follow it. But to the extent that, to quote the, the proverbial, time in the market is more important than time in the market, we all know that. That is absolutely true. But I would add some additional nuance onto that. When you're 20 years old, that same $100 is, for most people, it represents much more of your time and a much more significant amount of effort than $100 when you're 40 or even when you're 30. So I think there is something to be said. Um, it goes both ways. Like, yes, we all know that if you start early, your money will compound, blah, blah, blah. You know, a person invests $1,000 starting at age 20, 1000 a month starting at age 20 versus 1000 a month starting at age 30. But in terms of how much of your life's energy that amount of money represents at those two different ages, you could probably make a case for investing a bigger amount later in life when that bigger amount requires so much less of your time. Well, there's always that push and pull, not just in board games, but I think in, in almost every game, like when do you stop investing and when do you start harvesting? You know, maybe at 20, maybe the best thing to do is to invest that into skill set, Paula. Yeah. I mean, well, I think all ages, the best thing to do is to invest that in skill sets because going back to human capital, our ability to make money and our ability to uh, not just make money, but to, to have work that is meaningful and purposeful and that fits us well and that also rewards us financially, that ability is truly where that asymmetric risk and reward takes place. And those opportunities don't cease. And in fact, throughout our lifetimes, particularly as technology evolves, more and more opportunities that were previously unavailable start opening up. I love his intentionality at how he puts these. Do it for decades follows life is suffering, so figure out something worth suffering for. Because we all know people who have beaten their head against the wrong thing forever and they're miserable all the time. I love this story, OG. When still in that big private equity firm, I met a guy at dinner named Dave who had the same role as me at Arrival Fun. As we ate, Dave told the story of a deal he just bid on. He lit up as he talked about debt covenants, leverage multiples, and the intricacies of his bidding strategy. He had so much energy and enthusiasm about debt covenants, of all things. Instead of enjoying my overpriced meal, I had this sinking feeling in my stomach because I realized my energy for this was not even close to the passion Dave had. I love the fact that he starts with that thing that you're going to suffer over and then do that for decades. And what's important to you or interesting to you is not necessarily interesting or important to other people. That doesn't make yours right and it doesn't make theirs wrong. There's some value in putting some energy around, you know, what is it that you really want to do? Well, who do you want to be, become, and, and kind of following that path? And I think the other piece of that is reevaluating it over time because the stuff that you like to do and spend energy on today may not be the same stuff that you want to spend energy on in 10 years from now. Back to Paula's point, when you're 20 or 25 and you know you could do the private equity deal and work 80 hours a week and like who cares, that's maybe perfectly fine. And then you're 38 and you've got a couple of kids in elementary school and you want to go to the soccer matches, maybe that's not as fine. 
and you you have the opportunity to make different changes at that point. His last principle then, Doc, is to is to write your story. And it just reminds me of this Tony Robbins quote about the past does not equal the future, right? That tomorrow's a different day. It feels to me like people forget that. Like we forget all the time that we're actually in control and we can write a different story tomorrow than we had before. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it gets a lot to what meaning is in our life. So in my understanding, meaning is how we cognitively think about our past. And when we feel like our past was meaningful, we tend to really feel optimistic and good about our present and future. So in a lot of ways, meaning is the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and the trauma and suffering we had. And so if you look at your life and the struggles and the suffering and the things you've gone through, whether in business or otherwise, and see those as things in which you came out the hero and grew from them, uh, you're much more likely to create and tell yourself better stories about the present and the future. And therefore, you're just more likely to be successful. And I think this ties into the whole idea of suffering, as you were just talking about with OG. Brian Johnson just wrote a book called Arate, uh, and he has a platform called Heroic. And he talks a lot about about suffering and doing hard things. And he talks about the difference between being resilient and anti-fragile. And so when you're talking about suffering, you can be resilient, which means that you can withstand the suffering and come out okay. But the next step is becoming anti-fragile, where not only are you resilient to the suffering, but you come out stronger and a better version of yourself than you started. Yeah. And so Isn't suffering in this context, just a mindset though? Well, I mean, there's hardship, whether that's suffering through something physical or it's suffering that you had when you were a child or it's suffering through a business that's not working and you're working long hours and putting more into it than you were hoping to put in. I think those are all versions of stepping out of that comfort zone we were yeah. talking about into that uncomfortable Suffering place. through Doug's <laughs> open, for example. Exactly. exactly. It's a mindset. <laughs> well, the good news is... We don't have to suffer through the trivia competition today because we have a special guest coming up, which means we're going to leave it right there on that note. How to live in H wow. symmetric life. Wonderful piece from this blog of Graham Weaver. He also, they have a, a lecture series called The Last Lecture Series at uh, Stanford Graduate School of Business. We'll also link to that and to this piece. Uh, let's find out what's going on where you guys are before we say goodbye. Uh, we'll have our, our, it's hard calling you the guest of honor, but you're here Less often than the other two. So, Doc, you're going last. Let's start off with OG, man. What are you doing this weekend? Uh, still in the big basket of nothing. This is the quiet period. Baseball hasn't started yet. It starts next weekend, I think, is the first game. Track meets baseball, all that sort of stuff is uh, about to kick off. So we are uh, enjoying the quiet. Well, as people are listening to this, uh, I'm partying with Doc G at Disney Springs. Oh, thanks for the yeah, invite. it was great. <laughs> we had a blast. We'll take pictures. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Paula, what's going on at Afford Anything? On the Afford Anything podcast, we have an interview with Jennifer Wallace, who talks about some of the challenges that we face in feeling as though we are not doing enough, um, whether that's at work, uh, in our investments, in our home lives, when we feel as though it's never enough, we're not doing enough. First of all, how do we realistically assess is there merit to that or or is that simply disengaged from reality? And then what do we do about it? That's fabulous. That, that sounds like a super interesting discussion. We'll link to it on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Doc, thanks for joining us again today. Always fun to have uh, have you around. This time we didn't fight, which is kind of annoying. We should have. <laughs> we, we should have fought. But I, I, I know. You, I know you don't want to admit it, but I know the fact that we're not having trivia is actually you're afraid that I was going to win again <laughs> so we can't. and ruin the whole competition. So you had to cut me off. I get I'm it. I'm just being a it. friend and helping you. I don't want you to ruin your well-deserved <laughs> reputation. 
<laughs> we need to keep the universe in balance. Yeah. So what's going on at Earn and Invest, man? So Earn and Invest, Joe, you and I actually are about to record, and this will be airing right before this episode comes out. An episode where I was going to say where we take an ordinary earn and investor, but there is no such thing as an ordinary earn and investor. So we're talking about an extraordinary earn and investor, someone from the earn and invest community. Ian Kist is going to come on, one of our community members, and we are going to talk a current event with Joe, me, and Ian. And it's going to be a segment that we do every last Thursday of the month where someone from the community comes on and we discuss something going on in the world. It's fabulous. And I can't wait to hear this new series monthly on Earn and Invest. So uh, pause right now, follow Afford Anything, follow Earn and Invest. And then come back because in the second half of this, we've got Angelo Poli joining us from MetPro. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together we can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because... Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Well, you know, when I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine, and my nephew Nathan is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. Just a second, we're going to Angelo, but the second half of this show is brought to you by DepositAccounts.com. OG, you know what happens when you go to DepositAccounts.com? Uh, yeah, I get uh, Doug to deposit money into my account, I think, right? Uh, well, I wish you did. Well, you know what? There's going to be more money deposited in your account because 
you get to compare more than 275,000 deposit rates from over 11,000 banks and credit unions for free. As we're recording this, the national average rate on a savings account, as an example, has bumped up to 0.51%. Top 1% average, 4.98 APY. When we look at uh, CD rates, top 1% average on CDs down slightly at 5.61 for a one-year CD, national average of 4%. You know what? I just went to depositaccounts.com and it gave me all that. And then it's very easy for me to view rates and ditch that horrible account that I have and realign to a bank or a credit union that serves my needs better, depositaccounts.com. All right. This is one of my favorite segments every year. We four times a year, go to our friend Angelo Poli, who's worked with superstars, worked with celebrities on their health and fitness. And Joe Salci. And Joe Salci. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but Angelo's answered uh, many of our questions in the past. Let's see if we'll do it today. Let's say hi to Angelo Poli. You know, it's funny. I said this in the Basement Facebook group when I said that this guy was coming back on and I said, this is one of my favorite segments every year and the echoes from our stacker community saying, I love this segment. Can't wait. He's back. Angelo Poli here to talk health and wellness. How are you, man? Happy January. Happy January, pal. That was very sweet of you to say. Thank you very much. This as well is the highlight of the beginning of the year for me. I love getting to visit with you, Joe. Thank you for having me back. It is always so exciting to watch our stackers try to get in shape. And you know, it's funny. I was looking at statistics just the other day, Angelo, that we put together for our newsletter, the 201. And by now, I think 18% of people have already given up on their New Year's resolutions. By the time by, by the time that this airs, 18% of people it's over. are done. By the time this airs, it's done. Yes. But I know you. I mean, talk to those people about how it's not about January. It's about the sustainability. Talk to that because I know that's what you're all about. It really is, Joe. And this is nothing new every year. Although what I will tell you that's interesting this year our December, normally we like, oh, it's December, everybody's busy with, you know, holiday things and end of year things and travel and family and et cetera. And so we kind of like pack up and go on maintenance mode as far as onboarding new clients. We were shocked how many people reached out to us and it's like, nope, not waiting for January this year, getting a head start. I got to get a handle on this right now. So it shows me that it's on people's mind. But the reason, Joe, that some people will fall off after starting strong in a new year is the same reason people fall off at any other time of the year, and that is people want to have tangible results that they can track, measure, see, and predict. And when you don't have that, it's so easy to get derailed as momentum wanes. And so that's what we aim to empower people with. That is the the basically the the map, the guide, the journey, and the path, so that way they can continue walking it, seeing results, hopefully all year long. Yeah, I know that that, uh, and for people that are new to Stacking Benjamins, I use Angelo's company MetPro, and so you do that in your app. But I just encourage everybody to have data. In fact, it was Jesse, my coach who told me to get the Garmin, I mean, to get myself. And I told her, I said, Jesse, I don't know if I'm going to look at it. She goes, if it's in front of you, you will look at it. You know what? She was a hundred percent right, Angela. Yep. She's a hundred percent right. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, let's answer some questions that we got from our stacker community. 
And, and I absolutely love the questions that you guys have. I want to start off one with one that our friend Kathy has. Kathy's been a longtime stacker. She says, can you go over some of the key benefits of strength training? She works with a bunch of people and she wants to share with them info on just how important strength training can be. Outstanding, Kathy. You know, it's funny because this year we've been doing a lot of research projects at MetPro and exercise is a broad category was one of the few topics that we were able to research that had conclusive evidence where there wasn't, you know, because you research anything else and you're going to find 10 peer-reviewed, well-documented research papers that say one thing and another 10 that say really the exact opposite. Well, That's I thought you were going to say, and then that one guy. And then that one guy, there's that too. <laughs> but with exercise and particularly with strength training, that's one of the areas that are just really well documented, the benefits across the board. But there's one surprising thing that strength training, resistance training does not do. So let me explain. With exercise, what you get is caloric expenditure. With resistance training, you get maintenance of fat-free mass. That's the technical researching term. That means you build muscle. You sustain your muscle, and it helps you age gracefully and or put new lean mass on. That new lean mass or maintained lean mass helps fight against metabolic drift associated with dieting or restriction if you mm. are trying to lose weight. So there's benefits there. It is also associated with longevity, strength, performance, youthfulness, vigor, all of those key indicators. And there is no deficit of literature out there. You can go to the bookstore and there's book after book that is going to draw a direct link to youthfulness and maintaining your muscle mass. So all of those things are true. But here's one thing that the research actually indicates it doesn't do. Strength training is not a direct link to weight loss. Now, it may contribute toward fat loss, but the research is conclusive. Strength training helps maintain your lean muscle mass and your resting metabolic rate when done at a sufficient magnitude while aerobic activity is going to be the trigger if you want to simply have greater energy expenditure, which is why I'm constantly telling my clients you want to have a good combination of both, but never exclude resistance training because the big picture contribution from it cannot be understated. So definitely stay after your strength training, your resistance training, Kathy. That's huge, and it is going to keep you healthy and youthful for years. This must be why, Angelo, that uh, Jesse also, um, you know, we we take pictures mm -hmm. of like how we look because often it's not about the weight loss as much as the reconfiguration, I think, is that's what you're it. saying. And that's when you're adding that lean mass, you're swapping it out for fat mass. And that tends to look good on the body. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know OG's been working on this, my co-host, and he uh, and he sometimes gets frustrated that he's not losing weight. But at the same time, he just looks better all the time. Like he just looks better go. and better. So it's there not always about that. Uh, on that note, when you're talking about caloric intake and, and, and actually just about intake in general, stacker Tracy in Chicago says, 
how much protein do we really need? Probably based on age, she she guesses. But do we need protein powder? You're seeing all this stuff lately. Angela, the number of questions we've had over the years about, do I need more grapefruit in my diet? Should I do whatever? But do I need protein powder? What kind of protein powder is clean, she asks. Okay, great question, Tracy. The answer, as is typically the answer to many questions like this, is it depends. So it depends on what you're doing and what your primary goals are. By and large, the popularity of protein supplements was born out of marketing. Now, that does not mean protein powder is bad, and I don't recommend it. In fact, I have two different types of protein powder on my refrigerator right now, and I am grateful for it. I actually had some this morning. However, let me, let me qualify and explain the, the brief history of protein powder. So somewhere, a group of guys got together, and they said, you know, we have this really great supplement but how are we going to sell it to everyone? Only one-tenth of 1% of the population ever buys our product. <laughs> it's this product called protein powder, and only bodybuilders are buying it. So they did all this research, and they said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to figure out how to show that protein powder has benefit to the average person. So they did all this research to show that muscle mass increases BMR, base metabolic uh, resting metabolic rate and an increased BMR means less likelihood or propensity to gain weight. Therefore, protein powder equals muscle equals better BMR equals weight loss. So now every, you know, soccer mom and, and weekend warrior has a tub of protein powder on top of their refrigerator because not everyone wants to be a bodybuilder, but guess what? Everyone couldn't stand to lose five pounds, right? That's where it came from. Is there something magical in protein powder itself that is different from protein you would get from other natural sources? No. No. Arguably for those elite weightlifters, powerlifters, bodybuilders, they optimize the protein for uptake and usage. And so, yes, it's a good thing for them. But the number one reason to take protein powder is actually for convenience. How many times a day you want to stop and cook a bunch of chicken breast? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Boil an egg. Yeah. So if you still want the benefits of getting some protein in your system spread out throughout the day, which is the research shows how you get the most bang out of your protein consumption, a high quality protein powder can really make the difference. So how much protein do you need? This is a source of controversy. The bodybuilding community are going to say some pretty high numbers, but their goals and what they're doing on an average day-to-day -day basis is different from you and I, likely. The average studies and research indicate that 0 0.6, 0 0.7 grams per pound of body weight or lean body weight is actually going to be optimal for athletic performance. That said, even that is not necessarily required. And mm. here's why. Protein becomes exponentially more essential when there is a total calorie or energy deficit because your body will use protein you consume for energy if need be, therefore punching a greater hole in your amino acid profiles and your bioavailability of the protein to synthesize muscle. But if you are getting plenty of calories, plenty of carbohydrates, 
your body is going to favor that for energy. And even if your protein intake is modest, it will almost exclusively be spared for repairing muscle tissue. Therefore, you don't require as much. So when do you want to get that higher protein amount, maybe up to a, a gram per pound of lean mass or per pound of body weight? When your body is already in restriction, when your body doesn't have enough energy throughout the day, and you really want to ensure that your muscle has enough fuel to maintain or even build, that's when your protein needs actually go up. So for a more specific answer, I would need to know what are your goals? What's your exercise routine? How old are you? What's your body type? What's your, you know, your schedule look like? Are you trying to gain or lose weight? But hopefully at least you have a general indication with that. Which is why it's always begin with the end in mind. It's so funny how, how it's the same thing stackers as it is with what we talk about with finance, right? I mean, a million-dollar body, million-dollar portfolio, and you begin with the end of mine and start there. I want to couple this with a question Ross had, and I'm wondering uh, if, if it's just the same answer. So, Angelo, feel free to say it's the same answer. Uh, <laughs> Ross asks, how many daily vitamins actually help? I don't, I don't, he says, I don't enjoy very many vegetables, so I always wonder if taking a daily men's vitamin is actually beneficial. Oh my gosh. You know, let me see if I have this on my desktop. It is so funny that you ask that question. So I'll try and paraphrase. I have a template response email that I send as a gag to get to make people smile on about the seventh to 10th day I'm working with a new client. And it essentially says, dear client, you're receiving this email because you have asked me the question that 5,000 clients before <laughs> you have also asked me. Therefore, here is the answer. <laughs> and so basically what I go on to enumerate is I, I take a multivitamin. I'm a big believer in vitamins. That's not a main thrust of what we deal with at MetPro. I want to make sure that my clients have their basic needs met. But the reason that I don't dive too deeply into, oh, we're going to mega dose this, or we're going to take a lot of that, is because the efficacy of any supplement, and you can even say broader than that, any modality is going to be in relation to your deficiency. So you can go and you can Google, I mean, anything, benefits of vitamin C, benefits of vitamin D, and what you're going to get is you're going to get people that say, oh my goodness, it's the greatest thing. I started taking this and my life transformed. I changed. It was the greatest thing since, since sliced bread, right? And then you're going to have other people that's like, well, I take it because I know it's good for you. And my doctor says I should probably add it. I don't feel any difference. Why do you have such a delta? Why do you have such a difference? Well, typically the person who is a raving fan was likely had a deficiency in uh, those particular nutrients. Therefore, taking that vitamin, mineral supplement was the holy grail for that person. It doesn't automatically mean that everyone that takes this vitamin is going to just, you know, grow wings. The best way to do it is that you have two options. If you want to take a multivitamin and see how it affects you for, you know, $29, you can get a quality, you know, liquid multivitamin, try it for a month and see how you feel. Or if you want to be more accurate, what you can do is you can actually go and get some blood work done and you can see if there's any vitamins, nutrients you may be deficient in. And then it's probably even a better bet that taking those are going to result in a really good outcome. 
Me personally, I take a basic liquid multivitamin. I like liquid because then I don't have to play the is Angelo digesting it game. You know, sometimes the old tummy doesn't do so well in that department. So I take a basic multivitamin and then based on blood work that I get done well, a couple times a year, I may add a little bit extra this specific, that specific. And that's a great baseline for a typically healthy person as far as a recommendation. I've been looking into the blood work stuff that you're talking about, Angelo. I know a few years ago that used to be very expensive, but man, those prices and that's becoming much more mainstream, like more and more and more people. It's cheap. There's little incentive not to do it. And this is the area where blood work does so well. It can tell you if you're deficient in certain things. But what it can't tell you, because a couple of years ago, this was all the rage, is lose weight, get your blood work profiled, and we're going to teach you exactly what you need to do. There is no test on blood work that's going to tell you what you need to eat to lose weight. That is all marketing. (laughs) One star. That's not what I want to hear. I I want blood work that tells me more donuts. That's what I'm looking for. Right. (laughs) What, What those tests are going to come back and say is you are sensitive to excess carbohydrates. Probably eating a lot of sweets and processed refined carbs late at night is not good. You should cut down on fried foods and avoid sugary things because that's the same way it affects everyone. (laughs) You are sensitive to carbohydrates. Everybody is sensitive to carbohydrates to a greater or lesser degree. (laughs) Again, not what I want to hear. I have a love affair with bread. But uh, (laughs) uh, one more, if we can do a quick one before we talk about why metabolism is really the linchpin of this whole thing. Susan says, is it true that HIIT workouts promote an afterburn effect? And if so, how much of an afterburn? Excellent. Yes, it is true. So the benefits of HIIT workouts is that what you get is some of the benefits of aerobic training and some of the benefits of resistance training via the intensity. Mm. So it is more in the aerobic category, but you get some of the intensity and even the muscle sparing effects of resistance training because HIIT training just has an innate intensity to it and your ability to burn more calories in a shorter amount of time is very efficient from a time management standpoint. So why would somebody not do that? Well, there's only a few reasons. First is toleration. A lot of people, I'll get clients that'll come back to me and say, yes, Angelo, I'm doing you know an hour and 10 minutes of HIIT training five days a week. And then I have to say, no, you're not. <laughs> Let me explain why. True HIIT training, you cannot sustain with that level of intensity unless you are absolutely elite. I was just thinking, Angela, most people can't see this video and uh, they didn't see the look I made because there's no way in hell. I'm like an hour and 10 minutes. Holy crap. Yeah. So what they're doing is really considered varied intensity where you're increasing the intensity for a time period you're reducing. That is not what we are referring to when we are calling something traditional HIIT training, high intensity interval training. High intensity interval training means all out intensity for a short burst with very low uh, intensity active recovery. And that is very effective in forcing your body to acclimate and adapt. But it is very demanding on your central nervous system and you will have a finite amount of resources to recover from that. So you have to consider how much of that your body can tolerate. 
you want to consider risk assessment. If you're a senior just getting into exercise, HIIT training is not your starting point. Could be something you can work up to, but it's probably not your starting point. And then the only other reason why an otherwise athletic, healthy person would potentially refrain from HIIT training would be the adaptive response you get from that is going to be submaximal anaerobic endurance. It's not going to be aerobic endurance. For that, you actually have to sustain low intensity for long duration to condition your body to burn more intramuscular uh, lipids at the muscle site. So if your goal is to enhance endurance for long distance running and cycling, while HIIT training can be a part of your protocol, you really need to train within the modality and sport you're performing and you need those slower, longer runs. So that, that's just a little bit of background on how the science works with the sport. But if you are fit enough, if you are able and you have the time allocated to do some HIIT training and recover from it, it is one of my favorite modalities. We've talked a lot in the past about why extreme dieting doesn't work, which is a question Tracy had on here. Uh, and also about fasting, about how fasting definitely can work. And frankly, extreme dieting can work for a little bit, right? However, oh, yeah. You really emphasize none of that. It's all metabolism. Can you talk to why metabolism is the key to everything here, Angelo? Yes. So personally here, this is a little bit of my, this is what I'm passionate about. There is no excitement in extreme dieting weight loss for me because there is no mystery there. <laughs> There's no, nothing to discover. There's no improvements to be made. We understand if you stop eating or eat practically nothing, you will lose weight. Wow. Full stop. <laughs> right. Yeah, there you go. We've discovered, science has discovered the greatest weight loss diet. Everyone can stop the bickering. We have determined it's water, maybe a few ice cubes. That's the fastest way to lose weight. The problem is we all know that is not sustainable. And in some cases, some people, it can be dangerous. It's not sustainable. And the biggest problem, even above not being sustainable, because I'll, I'll be honest, people sometimes do it knowing it's not sustainable, but they got that wedding, they got that event, and they just want to drop 10, 15 pounds fast, thinking no big deal, nothing wagered, nothing lost. I'll just go right back to where I was. Big deal. Metabolically, big deal. And here's why. Your metabolism adapts to your intake. It does that even in spite of the persistence of exercise. It trumps everything else because it's a survival mechanic. If you reduce your intake a little bit, you will lose weight for a little while and then stop losing weight or you will die. If you don't stop losing weight, you will die. So unless there's been some mortalities in your last diet attempts, guess what that means? That means your body acclimated to the restriction and was able to maintain you with that lower intake. So what would normally be a minor decrease in resting metabolic rate turns into a major problem when you take that to the extreme which is why I have a much harder sell, Joe, because people say, okay, give me whatever will make me lose weight the fastest. And I'm not in that business. 
I'm in the business of what will make someone lose weight permanent. Permanent, which means you need to lose weight not because you are temporarily having an environment of starvation. You need to lose weight because your metabolism is running slightly faster, slightly faster, and that increased metabolic pace is forcing a deficit. So that way when you reach a lower weight, even if it takes a little longer, it's sustainable because it's where your body wants to be. Your body's not in a survival state. That's why it doesn't matter. There's so every every month there's a new flavor of the day gimmick. And they all do the same thing. They either it's a gimmick that somehow gamifies extreme calorie restriction, extreme carbohydrate restriction, or excessive hours without refueling. And when you implement those, you will lose weight, but you will do it literally at the cost. Now I'm going to use hopefully an appropriate term here, your metabolic bank account. You are paying for that weight loss on credit versus the guy who decreases a little. I'm not going to say you don't have to restrict. You will to lose weight. But maybe we do it in a balanced way where we manage your carbohydrates. We optimize your meal timing. We decrease confidently but modestly your calories. And we have you do a sustainable exercise. Now you lose weight, but you're paying on with the dividends you're already earning. Your metabolism is running fast enough to be able to handle that without crashing your metabolism. Angela, the lifetime sustainable, just knowledge I've gotten from you and from Jesse, my MetPro coach, we talked about data earlier. Uh, the data has led me to know what triggers in my own body are going to, like I know when to expect weight loss and I know when I put something in my mouth now what that's going to mean tomorrow, right? <laughs> just knowing my data and what the cost is, and you know what? And sometimes I don't make the right choice, but I know what it is going in. And that's a lifetime now that is going to last me forever. And then the second, the second thing that's been amazing, the importance of meal prep. I mean, just, just making sure that I got healthy foods around me and I've got healthy people I'm hanging out with, like the people I'm around, the, the stuff I'm prepping, it's all been, uh, the surround sound that you provided is stuff that at 55 years old, I'm going to have this when I'm 85. It just, it's not the, the extreme diet that to your point I'm buying. I love the credit analogy. Cause right. I can, I can buy it today, but I'm paying <laughs> for it later. You know? Yes. Yeah. If you'd like a free consultation with a MetPro coach, head to metpro.co slash SB that will tell our friends, Angelo, Dennis, our, our, all our friends at MetPro that we sent you metpro.co slash SB. Make sure you put the slash SB on there and that'll make sure that you get a, a free consultation. They'll take a look at your metabolism. They'll help you set up exactly what the plan maybe should be. And then they can tell you how they can work with you to get you that sustainable lifestyle difference that I think we're all looking for in 2024. Angela Poli, man, thanks for helping our stackers again. You've been such a mentor to us. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks a million, Joe. Big thanks again to Angelo. Doug, what should we have learned today, man? Well, Joe, what's stacked up on our to-do list today? First, take some advice from Angelo Poli and prioritize your health so you can enjoy your retirement. Second, maybe, just maybe, if you're looking for asymmetric returns in your life, you may need to put yourself in an uncomfortable position and ignore that voice in your head that sounds a lot like OG saying, 
you don't belong here. But the big lesson, I love Angelo's quote that every diet works until it doesn't. Time for me to play test the all donut diet. I bet that'll work a long time. Thanks to Doc G for joining us today. You can find Doc's podcast, Earn and Invest, wherever you're listening to me right now. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks to Paula Pant for hanging out with us today. You'll find her fabulous podcast, Afford Anything, wherever you listen to finer podcasts. And thanks finally to OG for joining us. Looking for good financial planning help? Head to stackingbenjamins.com slash OG for his calendar. This show is the property of SP Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2024, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show is written by Lisa Curry, who's also the host of the Long Story Long podcast, with help from me, Joe, Kate Youngkin, Karen Repine, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Wonder how beautiful we all are? Of course you do, but you'll never know if you don't check out our YouTube version of the show, engineered by Tina Eichenberg. Then you'll see once and for all that I'm the best thing going for this podcast. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude, Stacy Doe, and Julia Garib are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. For more interactive fun, join us on Instagram every Tuesday and Thursday for our Instagram Lives. Kate Yonkin and Joe host those weekly. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all 
of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.